This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and thanks for joining us for another episode of The Crucible. Sir, uh, welcome. Do you mind introducing uh, yourself? Chris Donahue, Commanding General, 18th Airborne Corps. Incredible honor to be on The Crucible this morning. Uh, very early, I was talking to the Sergeant Major of the Army, Command Sergeant Major Mike Weimer, and uh, he told me that uh, this is one of his favorite podcasts, and it's so good that he always worries that you guys are giving away too much. And he counseled me. He was my CSM twice. He counseled me twice, where he counseled me uh, and said, hey, make sure you're not giving away too much. So that, that, that's a great credit to you all. And uh, the other thing, too, is... Uh, Matt, I just wanted to personally uh, thank you for your leadership, not only here uh, at Fort Johnson, but also uh, I know we were together out there at HKI. Whenever you look at somebody who had an incredible impact and in what we asked you to do out there, uh, I just want everybody to know what a great leader and what all you did out there. And uh, make sure that you do not edit that from this. Uh, so, again, great honor to be here. Uh, well, thank you, sir. Thanks for being with us. And um, to the SAR Majors, uh, SMA's uh, comments, I like that because I want all this pressure on Geronimo uh, because they don't cheat, although lots of people think they do. Uh, they don't. And so, uh, you know, honored to have you here, sir, today. And, uh, you know, appreciate what you do, and thanks for making time for us. And so, um, you know, up, up front, sir, you're, you're a warfighter. And, um, you know, you've, I've gotten the opportunity to listen to you a lot. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts up front as our Army uh, does goes through another transformation as we prepare for large-scale combat operations? What are your thoughts on the, the character of large-scale combat operations or what have you learned in a, a tremendous career of warfighting, sir? Yeah, so um, the, the, the first thing, we're at an inflection point. And I mean, everybody knows we're at this inflection point. <clears throat> now it's incumbent upon us to understand what that means, which I'll go over here in a minute. And then also, we have to be able to anticipate of where we need to be. Because right now, the way everything is going, if you do not build in the ability to adapt and integrate into everything you do, and I'll come back and talk about adapt and integrate, um, you're, you're probably not developing the right things. And that's more than just material. We all focus on material, right? And people, hey, Donahue, he's a tech guy. No, actually, I'm not. Um, tech just happens to be the thing that gets us to the ability of where we need to be. So inflection point. You know, and I'll keep it. I don't want to get into the bad side of uh, SMA Weimer. But um, anything you do, you're probably going to be seen, okay? So that... that that doesn't mean that that shouldn't stifle you or anything else. It's just a fact. It's just a known uh, thing that's going to be out there. And then data, right? So prior to World War II, the FM radio was, uh, uh, you know, the thing that brought uh, combined arms together, 
And every nation figured it out at a different level. Clearly, we brought it to scale, we, the U.S., and our allies, and defeated a bunch of nations, right? And uh, we're at the same point, but with data. So that, that's the first thing. And then there's these new forms of mass, right, unmanned systems. And we're just on the precipice of figuring that out as well. So if you take everything that you can see and understand, the ability to use data, okay, both, um, you know, all different waveforms to pass that data now, and then these new uh, forms of mass, and the old traditional forms of mass are just as important, okay, they haven't gone away. Um, all these things have now come together where we, we have to figure that out, which then gets into the conversation of, as we're changing how, you know, you know, ultimately JTFs, I guess from an Army perspective, field armies, corps, divisions, fight, all these things now make it so that those levels of command are more important because they can do more to set the conditions for brigades uh, as they enter into that close fight or and then even sustaining yourself and campaigning in a close fight. And, uh, you know, I won't get into it too much, but obviously our experiences out in Ukraine um, – clearly are informing that. <clears throat> it's not a complete picture. It's apples and oranges. Um, and then any other, you know, as we look to develop the Army going forward, uh, this, this is very, very important. And we're very closely tied in with Army Futures Command, <clears throat> COCOMs, you know, all the, you know, centers of excellence clearly here. I know we're going to talk about, um, right. you know, and uh, Colonel Hardman and I talk about all the time of what do we need to be doing here. Um, you know, at Fort Johnson, but also how do we need to change, and how do you need to change your training bases back home? Yes, sir. So you, you uh, touched on a couple things here, and I, the the first one is, you know, how do you see the, the you, you talked about that the, at the higher levels, the that ability to set conditions and mass uh, in ways that maybe we haven't in the past. How do you see the role really of the the division, uh, and then what we train significantly here is at the brigade level. Uh, in large-scale combat operations? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is our CTCs are unbelievably important, okay? Um, you know, I've been very fortunate, from captain through three-star general, I've deployed multiple times at each rank to some sort of combat or crisis. And what you learn and do with the CTCs is exactly what you're going to do in combat. So, uh, you know... All these people who think that people are just going to show up to combat and suddenly get better. Uh, yes, you know, make, as we all know, that's make-believe, right? This yes, is sir. where you do it. Yes, sir. This is why when you come here, you better show up and you better win and you better do everything you can to defeat the Op 4. Um, you know, you got you to show up. Yes, sir. We always say winning matters. We'll put it into play. No, that's right. So, and I'm not doing this just to pump up CTCs. You know, the, the uh, learning will happen. Right. Um, I, you know, and that's yeah, what but, I've but seen. We, the units that come here to win, they learn faster. Right. And the other thing, too, is they prepare. Yes, right? sir. And that's the biggest thing. Is, is clear. I know we're going to get into all this and we're off topic a little bit, but you've got to prepare. Right? Yes, you win. Kids get preseason. You, you're right. You know? um, how much does it cost to do a rotation here on average? Um, about $20 million, sir. About $20 million bucks, right? And obviously, we're down here for 282, probably a little bit more because of the aircraft. You know, I always tell people, you don't show up to a CTC and make a 20 or $25 million mistake. Or you better show up and make 20 and $25 million mistakes. You better not be showing 
up in, you know, $10,000 mistakes that you should have solved in, in your training back home, right? Yes, sir. Um, so that's, that's just reality. Um, so that, what was the question? The, we got well, way well, off topic. That's good, sir. I mean, what, um, no, there's a lot there. I mean, I, I like this idea of, you know, and I think there, I mean, it ties back to this idea of fights and what we're doing at Echelon. Um, you know, we want our higher headquarters making, you know, uh, if we're going to make mistakes, be making $25 million mistakes, not $10,000 mistakes. Um, but the, um, my, my question is really, you know, how do you see the roles of the brigade and the division in large scale yeah. combat operations? Um, so, hey, the good news is this discussion is going on. So, uh, cl clearly, at all levels, not just brigade, division, but every headquarters has to get better at setting the conditions. And what I mean by that is making people say, hey, what does set the condition mean? It means that whenever, you know, last night, uh, you know, uh, 282 jumped into the box, right? Yes, sir. And air assault. But uh, it should be a completely unfair fight. When they show up, Everyone who would have been, you know, realistically, you'd have a JTF, the division headquarters, and then that brigade, at a minimum, right, you'd have the CFAC, all, you know, depending on what COCOM you're in. All these other components would have been part of delivering that force. But if, with all that stuff we just talked about, if we've done it right, when they show up, completely unfair fight from Jump Street. That, that, when we talk about this, that's really what we mean. And depending on the echelon that you're at, how are you also using... Uh, you know, uh, all the other forms of data that are out there from a social media perspective, from a media perspective, everything else to make sure that you are isolating that fight so that they can fight it and there's nothing else impacting that, okay? Of all, you know, we talk about, you know, multi-domain, all-domain, but that, that's what we're talking about is everyone across there needs to make sure they're synchronized and have made that fight completely unfair. Okay, that's great. There's so many things that we got to do with that, right? And, you know, I know Gen General George, um, again, General Rainey, General Brito, um, all the COCOM commanders, we all know that we have to have a better simulation, that you can get multiple reps and sets at all levels to make sure that you can do what I just described, okay? And everybody realizes this, and we're moving out with that as quickly as possible. Um, and then again, going back to adapt and integrate. <clears throat> and why is adaption and integration so important? Number one, because the speed of change is going to force you to do it. But more importantly, the one consistent thing, didn't matter when I was a captain or as a lieutenant general, every 30 to 60 days, the fight changes. And go back and read your history. You never fight, you never ever fight the last war, but you always have to adapt and integrate. Okay? And you just don't show up and be able to adapt and integrate. You know, the other day someone asked me, Donahue, you always talk about adapt and integrate. What is adapt and integrate? <clears throat> well, the first thing is you know you're going to have to do it. So you better build an organization that can do it. If you don't, it's going to take you a while to figure it out. Incredible talent in the United States Army. So we'll figure things out, but you, you don't want to figure it out in contact with the enemy. So the first key thing with adaption is you have to understand your environment. And if you don't understand your environment, you're not going to know that there's changes and you need to adapt. Okay. And the next thing is you have to be able to make a decision of what you're going to adapt to. Okay. That's hard. Okay. I've done this a lot. That means you have to take risk. 
So it means you now have to build into your team people who are willing to come to you and say, boss, things are changing, we need to change, and this is what I think we need to do. And you have to listen. And then you say, yes, we're going to do that. And then you have to have the ability to actually make those changes and go out and win. Win your task, accomplish your task, win whatever you're supposed to win at your level, okay? So that all goes back to you have to have the right culture and process. If you don't have the right culture and process, you'll never have an organization that can adapt and integrate at the speed of war. That simple. From the squad level all the way up to whatever level you want to go. And that's combat. Whether yes, people, you know, I that, that's it. Completely agree. And, you know, a lot to unpack there, sir. And, you know, it's uh, um, I wrote my master's thesis on a Civil War regiment and read hundreds of letters. And, um, you know, it's interesting that that's a huge takeaway that I had from doing this study of this regiment in four years of war is just how rap like the people that survived were the people that could adapt. Absolutely. In Ukraine uh, and Russia, right? In Ukraine and Russia, guess what? Same thing's happening. Yes, sir. Okay. The, uh, and, of course, all this is built on one thing. Okay. The, the you know, General George and uh, the SMA, they say be brilliant at the basics, right? Yes, sir. Okay, but if you do not master the basics, you cannot do anything else. In 18th Airborne Corps, if you cannot do the basics, you have to stop doing what you're doing and go back and master the basics, right? Um, we, we have to, we, that is our, our entry point to everything else we do. Sir, the, uh, we, we were both at the Maneuver Conference last week, and this, the, you know, John Rainey had a great quote from that. You know, technology is going to punish unskilled uh, commanders and untrained units, and uh, which really, I think, in many ways, gets back to doing the basics really well. And you know, units that do that, the game slows down for them. Uh, their ability to to, to see that that changing environment, to actually understand that changing environment, uh, and then to make prudent risks about that environment. It, it's just like uh, last uh, rotation, 310. Yes, sir. right. Our favorite Cav Squadron commander, okay, who uh, he, he did what you and I just described. He adapted. He integrated. He took risk. He did all the things that we're talking about. And he went out there and, you know, tell, tell the group how well he did. He, he killed a lot of enemy, and he did not lose a lot of combat power. It was a pretty impressive uh, yeah. fight. Yeah, I mean, he's that, that's a guy that's out there uh, doing We won't say his name. We don't want to embarrass him. Uh, They'll have listened to him. He did a podcast here, sir, so he'll be in the oh, – he'll, right. he'll be coming out behind you, sir. Good, good. He should probably be in front of me. <laughs> yeah, leading the way, sir. Yeah. Um, sure, so, um, you know, as, as you talk about if, – if I could just kind of unpack with you for a second. We have a, a lot of, um, you know, leaders listening – you know, what, what in your mind makes a good risk taker? Um, <clears throat> so the first thing to, to be, a, you, you, if you're going to be a risk taker, um, you know, you, you always have to be in a position of advantage, okay? <clears throat> and if you're not in a position of advantage, that's when you're truly at risk. And what do I mean by that? Um, it, it's just like you never culminate in a fight out of position without enough resources to hold, 
right? Attacking's easy. If you know what you're doing, attacking's easy. It's what comes next, right? So it's the same with risk-taking. <clears throat> so if you're going to take a risk, you can never, ever not be in a position of advantage so that if something doesn't work out, okay, you remain in that position of advantage. You just stop doing what you're doing, but you now move to the, that position of advantage. So if you're going to change technology, if you're going to change the way you're training for, to integrate UAS, if you're going to change the way you figure out how to do training management to a squad live fire, the most basic element for a rifle squad, react to contact. If you can't get the training management right, do you say, well, if, if we've been doing this the entire time, it doesn't work out. Let's develop this app that tells you, okay, well, if I have to do a squad live fire in six months because you've put out good training guidance and everybody knows exactly when they're going to do it, an app should probably tell you, well, the very first thing is, okay, put in my training calendar. I have so many P1 or P2 weeks. Okay, I understand all that. The very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do an LPD on squad react to contact. Who all is going to do it? Who's going to run that squad? You know, then, right after the LPD, you're probably going to do another thing that before you start talking about it, you're going to go back and look at all your after-action reviews from the previous ones to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes to include how to set up the range, what to do with range control. And then you figure out when you're going to go out and take all your leaders out there and walk the terrain and make sure that everybody knows exactly how to do it because we're, we're sort of young in the United States Army right now. Credible talent, but we're young. And then you, know, you walk all the way. Then what are all the steps that you have to do to get in there? To include uh, night qualification with your uh, rifle, right? Because... Our one asymmetric advantage in the United States Army is fighting at night. And we got to get really, really good at fighting at night. So before you go out uh, to that, you know, I, I would argue, what is your feedback mechanism for shooting targets at night to make sure that you are real, right? Again, real is defined as 14 continuous days of fighting with the preponderance of it at night. Then that goes back to how are you integrating that into your squad live fire, right? Uh, I had an incredible squad leader <clears throat> when I was in 3rd Range, uh, Range Battalion. His name was Derek Van Voot. Every time Derek Van Voot came out of the barracks, his squad got into two fighting team wedges. Yeah, he was relentless. <laughs> Didn't matter where he went, right? I'll tell you what, that was the only time in my life I was out <clears throat> They did, they did an iteration of squad live fire. And at the end of it, everybody said, I have no comment. <laughs> have you ever heard of that? No, sir. O officers who have no comment at an AAR. A bunch of them. The battalion commander was there. The battalion S3 was there. Company commander, platoon leader. All their NCOs. I, I, I was... in, in a ranger battalion. And everybody said, no comment. I was uh, sure I was stuck there visualizing the platoon or the squad coming out the door and going into fire team wedges. I he, can imagine. He, that. He, he would run that way. He did everything that way. Wow. He was incredible. Um, you know, and by the way, his guys loved him. Loved him. Okay. People like being on winning teams. That's for yeah. sure, sir. Um, He's pretty demanding, by the way, as you can probably tell. 
Well, you right. know, it's it's interesting you say this, or you know, I had the chance to sit down with Star Major Nash and uh, Star Major Donaldson, and so they were talking about their experience growing up in Third Ranger Battalion in the in the '90s. So, um, you know, the story continues there. I would like I got I got to go listen to that podcast and see if they actually told the truth or not. So, I, yeah, a little bit of a everyone likes to talk about how great the '90s were. Uh, uh, they, so, some, sometimes I'm a little like, yeah, I'm not sure. If it's no, really they, that good, but yeah. They, you know, I thought they were pretty. Uh, Those are two very good NCOs, clearly. Yes, sir. Um, no, I, you know, it, it is. They spend a lot of time talking about as as you were discussing, sort of doing the basics and how hard it is to actually be really good at the basics. Oh yeah. Um, you know what? What's the uh, most important thing of marksmanship? Dry fire. Right. Um, you know, how often do people dry fire? By the way, you can dry fire every day after PT. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? Just get a bunch of sticks, and whenever you're done, you just have your sticks and you just do up drills, right? You really want to work on the form and fashion of doing You don't have to get your any weapons out of the arms room. Nobody said you got to do that. You know, I came from an organization where people did stuff like that all the time, right? You, you, you don't need your weapon for everything. I did a marksmanship uh, course that was put on by somebody that had served in that organization. I remember some people challenging, uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then watching that individual shoot, and everybody's like, "Okay, I guess we're going to do with that person." Well, wh- wh- why would you? I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, all those dry fire drills and everything you do. That's like saying I'm going to go out and play basketball, but I'm not going to shoot any foul shots until I'm in the game. Hundred percent. And there's sir. no logic. Of course, you would do that. Right. Yes, sir. So, anyway, if you really know how to shoot, you know where the fun, what what are the most important parts of shooting. You probably want to rehearse those things a couple times before you actually put a live bullet down the range. Yes, sir. So, and I think at least I do, because if I'm going to go to combat with you, I want to make sure I kill the person with you know one bullet, because you you're counting on me. Hundred percent, sir. Right. It ain't about me. It's about you. It's about the rest of the team. So. Um. Yes, sir. And uh, you know the the uh, the confidence and the trust that comes from competence is pretty pretty absolutely. amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> um, competence and discipline make experts, right? Which discipline? Gets, which discipline? Gets, do it every day. Which right? gets back to risk taking a little bit too, sir. Is that, you know those those are the folks that are best positioned to. Oh yeah, if you know, you're extremely competent, yeah. You, the, the other thing, too, in combat that I've always found is that if you're just really good and really aggressive, you, you make your own luck, right? You yes, make sir. your own luck. Yes, sir. Um, sir, you know, you and I have talked in the past um, a fair bit about our C2 systems and, and some of the, and the Army's recognized some of the frustration with, with some of our C2 systems. Um, you know, and we started this conversation talking about how you know we often get fixated on on the, the technology and, and and folks that you know will say that sometimes. But uh, you know I've listened to you talk. It, it, could you could you share your perspective on how you think we need to adapt um, our C two systems, our processes and cultures uh, for the tempo and the transparency of the large the modern battlefield? Yeah. So the uh, <clears throat> the. A couple of things here at this. The first thing is, I just want everyone to know what the Army is doing. Yes, sir. Because the Army has taken the most aggressive 
steps that I have seen, okay, to fix what we're talking about. Um, you know, as we all know, we always talk about our brigades are too heavy. We all these other things. Everything is you're in motion. Get, brigades are going to get a weight complex. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, well, bottom line is you're going to start seeing action, okay, yes, legitimate action in weeks. And, you know, I'm happy that we're, you know, I've talked about risk-taking, right? This is an area where in 18th Airborne Corps, to include 3rd Infantry Division, we're going to get light. Okay, we're getting rid of this stuff. We're going to take risks. We're going to get down to what we really need um, to, to be proficient, but also to lower all the other associated tasks that all that excess equipment puts on our, our leaders, right? And, you know, that's well documented. So we're, we're moving out and we're doing that. And from the chief staff of the Army, General Pappas, you know, everybody's in full Army material. Everyone's in full support of this. So you're going to see that reduction to include getting rid of all of our tech that we don't need, right? Our brigades are the most technologically advanced brigades in the world, and nothing really talks to each other. So we got to get rid of all that. So the Army is clearly focused on that, um, and they just did a, a TTX to work on this, and we're going to start moving out on those changes as well. And then they're, and they're trying to build that into the future. So what uh, Headquarters DA, Army Futures Command, TRADOC, and then ultimately FORCECOM are all doing it's pretty amazing. I've never seen an effort this coherent and real about changing. So I, I think we're going to, my point to all this is we're going to fix all this. So I, Sure. I mean, I, I got to see um, this problem for two years at NTC, and I've seen more change in the last 12 months uh, than at any point in, in my time in the Army. Yeah, yeah, which is good. And it's long overdue, right? Yes, but then it goes back to what we talked about up front. So we have to build the networks for... You know, the uh, BCTs, that's called the Integrated Tactile Network, a glorified word for the ability to pass data across multiple waveforms and change your waveforms because everything can be seen so that you can either blend in or have that ability to, you know, very purposefully use a certain waveform. But then the next key thing is you have to move very quickly, right? And if you're going to stand up and, you know, you have to be able to connect and disconnect very quickly and be mobile or go very deep down into buildings, et cetera, to protect yourself while you're, you're, you're radiating, right? So all those systems we're putting into place to be able to do that, right? And in this rotation, you're going to see some of it out there with 282. Yes, so it's not just, you know, notional. It's real, right? And then, of course, for the Army, they got to pay for it, right? <clears throat> Everything's easy uh, whenever you don't have to pay for it, Okay. Then you got to maintain it and all those things. So you're going to see those fundamental shifts. And uh, at each echelon, you're going to see different systems that are coming out, okay, uh, to do all this. And I'm, I'm pretty, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think we're moving down the right path here pretty quick. But you got to train on it, okay? It's going to be a heck of a lot easier than everything else we have, but you still got to train on it. You got to be a master of it, everybody, okay? We want to go to these smaller command posts, uh, which, which we still have to get smaller, more mobile. That means whatever your rank is, you better be able to do it yourself, right? Yes, so sir. I can run, you know, our mission command system, I can run it, right? I can, I can run it myself. Um, I'm not an expert, but I can do it, right, and do it by myself in a sustained time period. You got to get into it. You got to learn it. That's your art. Right. Yes, sir. This, you know, 
um, as we reduce the size of command posts, we're, it, you know, we can't have all these tool maintainers and tool operators. Right. Like you, people like you and I got to be able to be the right. tool maintainer and tool operator, and right. there's a discipline to that as but, well. But the other thing too is, um, you know, just how, how do you now? You, you know, you got to know your biases, right? My bias is to be present, right? Yes, right, wrong, indifferent. That's my bias. I've seen that on a couple okay. occasions, sir. So. <laughs> But my point is, is that means I want all that information to come with me. Yes, sir. So the importance of, you know, we keep saying, <clears throat> but <clears throat> as I, I truly believe the commander should be able, wherever the commander goes, he or she should have the ability to understand what's going on beyond being present. Because if, if you're present and you don't have the rest of the information, you know, you're, you're you're going to be very reliant on your staff and everybody else to, to make decisions, which is fine. They should be back there doing that in your absence. Um, but you have to maintain that situational awareness and understanding so that you can constantly be present and understand the larger picture and be balancing all of that. With our current systems, either you're back in some jock or you're forward. But we're, we've brought that together. And that's ex that, that is probably the most important thing we need to do because... All this stuff briefs well, but at the end of the day, this is about commanders making decisions at all echelons, right? And, um, you, you know, I know this is an unclassed thing here, but the, as you start making decisions on any number of things, you have to understand it in a greater context, right? Um, you know, probably, yeah, I won't say, but it's, uh, it, there's, there's one aspect of all that's extremely important. I just, I'll just leave it as BDA. Okay, battle yes, damage sir. assessment. If you cannot master BDA, you're going to struggle in Lisco. Yes, sir. Hands down. Um, you know, and, I, and I took it a little bit higher yes, than sir. the brigade, right? That's not yeah. so much the brigade's job. They need to be informed of it, but um, I'm just telling you, we, we, but there's some really neat things we're learning. We knew. We see, I mean, but we now see we here, understand sir. it. Oh, we yeah, see, we see it here, you know, in the operations process, plan, prepare, execute. You know, the, and arguably the hardest thing we do is actually assessments. Absolutely. Uh, to understand that operational environment, to, to be informed about the risks that we're willing to take. Um, I mean, we're in a waiting. Every if time, you, sir. If, if you miss, okay, you've exposed yourself and you've missed. Yes, sir. That you, you've incurred risk by, like I said, if everybody, everything can be seen. You've moved into a position, probably taken losses trying to get into a position of advantage to shoot at, at your adversary, maneuver battalions, companies, troops, batteries, you know, whatever, um, and then you miss. That, that's, that is not good, right? <clears throat> yes, sir. And you better know that and if you did miss, you better know, yes, we missed, this is why we missed, and fix it fast, right? And you have to have all these, that, that network that can actually allow you to do that, right? Yes, I would argue right now, you know, I, I don't want to break uh, no, we're, anything. Uh, the SMA told me to do this. So I'll stop talking. Um, sure. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about risk-taking, about, about leadership, particularly kind of in this environment and, and the position of, of leaders and, um, you know, Kind of a follow up on on some of your comments there is, you know, what have you learned? Um, you know, you talked about presence forward. You know, what have you learned? Um, and, and maybe advice of habits that people leaders ought to 
help facilitate themselves and practice um, to, to be better at making decisions under high stress. I, mean, I, I often look at what we do here is it's really just complex problem solving under high stress. So the first thing is um, if, you know, I think everyone thinks that I'm like a PT zealot type guy, right? And I am, I don't mean that. But everything you just described sounds a lot like PT, if you compete in PT every day, right? So anyone who ever, you know, this is more of, if the Army tells you to do something, ethical, moral, legal, you do it. The Army combat fitness test, I'm going to go back to that. Okay, the Army, I love the Army combat fitness test for one reason, adapt and integrate. Can you adapt and can you integrate and can you figure it out? It's everything we're talking about. And then you, can you compete to get a 600, right? Sounds a lot like combat, right? If you're in charge of my kid, I want somebody who can adapt and integrate is going to compete every day to get a 600. So that means every day they're going to show up and they're going to be under stress to win. They're going to compete with everybody. Sounds a lot like combat. You get a free rep every day at that. And then, oh, by the way, you actually have to prepare, right? You have to know what you're doing. You have to be very proficient in what you're doing to prepare to do all that, right? That culture of fitness generates everything that we're talking about. And you get, no matter what you're doing, P1 week, P2 week, I don't care where it is, that's where it all starts, right? You do PT for four reasons, prepare for combat, Number two, as the leader, every time you show up, you have a plan, you have two hands on the wheel, you're controlling the foot and the gas, and they trust you. Because that's the same people. If you can't make a PT plan, how the hell are you going to do an MDO operation? Okay? Yes, sir. And that's where you get to know each other, number three, right? Uh, I hate all this call sign. I never wear a call sign patch. If you can't look underneath nods and look out and say, that's my squad leader, that's my platoon leader, that's my battalion commander. You got an issue. You're probably not in the field enough. You're not wearing nods enough, right? So call sign patches, don't like them. You should be able just to look out and see, okay? So, that, that's the, so that's number three, you get to know each other. Number four, you build resilience. Combat is hard. Life is hard, right? You have that opportunity every day. Adapt and integrate every day. Army combat fitness test, new. I love it when people complain about it. You know why? I'm like, number one, you're told to do it. Number two, can you really adapt and integrate? And now you gotta compete. Do you got it or do you not, right? That's what this is all about, you know? We, we, we're all in charge of a bunch of people. We better show up every day, every day, okay? That's that stress that you're talking right. about. So when you come here, it should be no different. Hell, you should be like, I can't wait to go into the box and chase down the opposite. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's how I feel every day, sir. I would love to come and fight here every day. Right? I mean, this hey, is and by the way, this goes back to the other thing that we talked about, discipline, right? Every day you're not going to have a great day. You're going to have a crappy day. How do you stay in the fight? That goes to this resilience. How do you... How do you not win? But say, I'm going to get better, right? 
Because the competition's really against yourself. 100% sir. Okay. That's all we're talking about. People join the Army to do great things. At least one time a day at PT, they should do great things and be pushed. And everything is, that's, that's why PT is so important. Doesn't matter if you're climbing a rope, running 100 miles, don't, having whatever you're doing, right? It doesn't matter. That, that's why that time period is so. And then the next thing you know, you throw in, you've 30 sticks and your 28-person platoon now is out there doing up drills for five minutes. And then you know that you're going to go do a squad live fire. So you're like Derek Van Boot, and you have your little sticks, and you go out there, and you IMT across the field five times. Small little rep, and suddenly it adds up, right? If you do that stuff every day, every day, right? So whenever you go out there the first time, and you're doing, you know, your blank fire, you're not worried about can, can people IMT and move properly. You've already figured that out. Because you did that every day at the end of PT. That's discipline. That's, that's really thinking about, can we fight? Can we master the basics? Yes, sir. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, you know, uh, Sergeant Major uh, Mike Hall, you know, um, phenomenal memo published in the 90s on the fundamentals of combat and how to train for it. Um, and this idea, you know, that the number one determinant of success or failure in combat is how a soldier feels about his or her peers and immediate leader. And it's this, I think it is very much this oh, absolutely. idea of cohesion <clears throat> absolutely. that we build absolutely. through sheer hardship right. and discipline. Pe- people are the army. The 100%. army is people. <clears throat> That's our pacing item. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's trust, right? Yes, sir. So, yeah. All right, sir, um, you know, well, I mean, it's a good place. You gave us a lot there um, to this question, but what advice do you have for, for leaders as they train their units for large-scale combat operations, in particular battalion commanders? Well, we talked a lot of, lot of things right there, um, but you know, based off you know, your experiences, um, you know, what, do you, what do you think, you know, in particular battalion commanders, command sergeant majors, they really ought to help focus their units? Yeah, so the, <clears throat> the first thing is, you know, as a battalion or squadron commander, that's probably the last time you're probably going to know everybody in your formation. <clears throat> and even if you don't maybe know exactly everything about them, right, you'll know who they are, okay? I mean, I, I mean as, a, as a division commander, I was actually shocked how much I, you actually got to know everybody across your division, a lot more than what I thought I'd be able to do. Um, but, that, but as a battalion or squadron commander, that's it. So the first thing is, is love it. Go out and get be present. Be with your people. That's the phalanx. That's the 300, okay? That's the last time in your career when you just, everyone will be around you. They are your people, right? It's you, such, you I'm not getting, it's right? such a special place. It is. I mean, it is. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. That is it, okay? Um, so just go out there. So the, that, that's the very first thing. Just understand how fortunate you are, right? And love it, okay? Again, you're going to have bad days. And just go out and be present with them. And then the other thing is, is as an 05 commander, right, you're at the heap of being that subject matter expert. Whatever your battalion or squadron is, you have the most experience, right? You have all these talented people underneath you that have an incredible amount. Your NCOs, your officers have so much experience, right, that you can truly say, this is where I want my battalion or squadron to be 
in X amount of time. And then be ruthless in that prioritization, that training management to get to that point. And everybody should know it. Whenever you walk around that organization, everyone should know. In six months, every, let's just assume it's an infantry battalion, every company in this battalion will be able to do a night, you know, combined arms live fire against this threat to standard. And everybody knows and everything you do is focused on doing that, right? Everybody. It's shared understanding, shared purpose, and everybody's all in. And then make it fun, right? It's going to be all kinds of, you know, uh, you, you know, fun stuff. You, you, I mean, you were out there last night and we were taking apart the, uh, you know, yes, de-rigging the 105, right? And we're out there doing stuff. Um, and, by the way, uh, last night, de-rigging a 105, every skill set required from the Army Combat Fitness <laughs> Test, right? And it didn't matter your rank. No, true. That a, was a, a, a bunch of privates, specialists, all the way up to, you know, me, right? Yes, sir. Out there. And, uh, and by the way, that was a hell of a lot of fun. You know, I mean, it was they, a hell of a lot of fun for me. I'm not sure if they, uh, whenever they realized uh, who all was out there, I'm not sure if they still were having fun. But, no, but, but I, guess what? I, they I, were. I, hey, by you the way. You can totally see they were, sir. But guess what? I'd done PT with that battery a bunch of times. That's awesome, right? sir. So how'd they react? They were used to us being present. Right, sir. It was like, 100%. oh, yeah. That's that nitwit Donahue. Of course he's out here trying to do all this stuff, you know, because um, that's, that's being present. That's everything else. And that's the standard, by the way. That's not unique. That's the standard. No, sir, and I, you know, part of like that it, in this example from last night, um, you know, a lot of great stuff there it is, uh, you know, you, you got to live hard to be hard. You got to do tough things together. And, oh, yeah. and you saw, you know, I saw that last night watching that, you know, that was a formation that clearly enjoyed the challenge and wanted to be in the arena, you know, kind of as we talk about, because I mean, they were pretty fired up to get that gun into operation. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, also, I, you know, being in a battalion is such a special thing. It's so, um, it's so different than any other um, you know, I, I'm, it's great, you know, being a brigade commander and I'm sure, it, it, I think it, a division commander, well, but that baton, such a special thing. You, you know, so that's kind of interesting you say that. So to, as an 05 commander, it should almost be boring for you because, again, you're at the top of the heap, right? And you have these two fantastic majors, an ops sergeant major, incredible CSM, right? But, but you've done all those jobs. You can already anticipate what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. Right, and be present to make sure that you work your way through that. Yes, sir. So that's the unique thing about being an O5 commander. And it's that simplest, easiest level where, you know, just going out and conducting an attack should just be no problem. I got it. You know what I mean? Okay, what are the resources available? Okay, we're going to do this. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, it's, it's so easy, right? Then, you know, brigade command. Okay. That, that is the first time you have a staff, like a legitimate full-up staff, a mini-division staff, okay? And all your officers are fantastic, right? But it's their first time now trying to, you, you don't just have one of, whatever, you, whatever your basic branch is, where you're that master is in 05. Suddenly as in 06, all your battalions and squadrons that are supporting your maneuver, right, 
a lot of them you've never commanded, right? So now your your field artillery battalion commander, if it's you know two A two, so Todd Burroughs out there, incredible field artillery battalion commander, right? That's his subject matter expert. How does he learn from him and empower him? But you're still driving that organization, and your staff's very, it's a big, unwieldy staff, right? How are you bringing all of that together? I, that's why I think Brigade Command um, is actually more enjoyable than 05 Command, as far as your personal growth. Because again, 05, you're the subject matter expert, right? That's now about teaching, being present, driving the organization, pretty simple. Brigade Command, suddenly you're learning a lot, right? And that's what makes it so difficult. And you experienced it, right? We all, we all have. Yes, sir. Now suddenly you've got to bring all these things together, okay? And then, you know, at the division level, the difference is, is now suddenly you have all these superstar CSL select or handpicked people for jobs that makes it a lot easier. And you, you're more experienced everything else, right? But now you're just a, that brigade at a bigger level. I mean, none of this stuff's hard either, by the way. Someone like me figured it out. It ain't that hard. That's, that's, let's be honest, too, right? Just, and it's making it fun, you know? That's true. No, and, and I think that part of it is, um, I definitely think it's a combat multiplier. I mean, we get to watch people um, that, you know, one, take what, they, you know, take what they do seriously, but don't take themselves too seriously. Right. Um, you know, it's a, it's a combat multiplier for sure, watching people. Um, I mean, being, I mean as, as long as you are not, if nobody is getting, you know, severely injured and obviously killed, right? If you took all that out, as you know, combat is incredible fun. The camaraderie, everything else, I mean, absolutely incredible, you know. And it is, it is I think it is life-changing for the better if you're doing everything the right way. Right, you come out of it a better person. Okay, I can tell you, I am a much better person. Right, you know, for all of my experiences. But you got to prepare. You got to prepare. Right. You when you get into that moment, you got to be ready. Sure. No, and and um, and it's just thinking about that for a second, sir, and some of the stuff you said. You know, I, I think it does. Um, you know. It, the intensity of that experience and the stakes of it is is really should be driving an unselfishness, uh, which gets back to oh, you know, yeah. this you know this presence and the difference that we're able to make or should be making for people you know by by being with them in hardship. Yeah, I mean, um, and you want to be with them. Yes, sir. I mean, you'll never be around a greater group of people and sense of purpose. Yes, sir. You know, every time you go out, just just ask them: Have you ever been around a better group of people from A to Z? Right, sure. Um, sure. So um, we talked about adapt adaption innovation. Can you tell us a little bit about Project Ridgeway? Yeah, so um, there, there, really, there's kind of um, so we use Project Ridgeway, okay, and that that's that's the line of effort for us, right? That where we do basically we have two goals with that, okay, is. How are we using data to make our people better and to make us better at war fighting? People and war fighting, right? Um, so there's all kinds of things we do with it. Uh, uh, obviously, we don't have enough time to go over it. But um, 
you know, I'll give you one example, um, leader engagement tool, okay? And what the leader engagement tool does is, uh, you know, the background of it is I did, uh, when I was in the 82nd, I did an all hands. And, uh, you know, the, they, they described the situation, which uh, basically was, uh, you know, some people were yelling some stuff at people that they shouldn't be. And it was a, one of those barracks that was uh, some from another organization outside of the 82nd and some of the 82nd folks. And it, it you know, it really, yeah, to be blunt, it pissed me off, right? And, uh, you know, you talk back to the 90s and everything else. CQs were staff duty, just a little bit different back then compared to now. So I got, you know, Again, I, I was irritated by this. So, uh, Command Sergeant Major Pitt and a guy named Savage, you know, and I guess I was fast forward. I said, hey, I, l let's get all the data of when sexual assault happens, when sexual harassment happens, where, where, what else happens in the barracks and everything else, and just come up with a time frame and then put a QR code up so that at 2 o'clock in the morning in this barracks, the staff duty or CQ has to check in, and then they have to ask 10 questions. And you can adjust the 10 questions, right? The battalion commander can put in questions, the brigade commander, division commander, whoever, right? When are you taking block leave? Are you taking block leave, yes or no? And if you're not taking block leave, why? Because that's an indicator, right? You, you can, when are, when are you going to JRTC? You know, whatever it is. How do you, what do you think of the message? It doesn't matter what it is. Why do you love being in the Army? What's the one thing you would fix in your, in the 82nd Airborne Division, right? It doesn't matter, whatever it is. And this guy named Chief Savage, um, he, he developed it, this whole app on his own in his basement because he couldn't do it on any U.S. military systems, right? Uh, which is where... You know, as you're talking to General Carrilla and everyone else who was then the 18th Airborne Corps commander, the Innovation Outpost comes from all this, right? So you can see where all these things start to come together, where you're using technology, just like General Rainey said, right? Technology should just be the ability for us to, to make people better, to understand better, to solve problems, right, to create opportunities. We innovate for three reasons, right? To create an opportunity, to solve a problem, and to allow leaders to be present, right? If it doesn't meet those three criteria, we're not doing it, right? You have, it's not unbounded. There's not unlimited resources. So how do you do all this? Obviously, if it's something, you know, doesn't, it's not black and white. If it's something outside that makes sense, great. The other thing that came out is down at uh, 3rd Infantry Division, right? So that leader engagement tool, by the way, that's on the street, which will be soon, just we need authority to operate we need to work out some kinks. Army Futures Command developed that app for us, and it, it has brought in tons of other other stuff now. It's called Shield, and it does incredible stuff. Um, but you know, go, go look it up. It's really really neat. What else that ties in? Um, mold awareness sensor down at Fort Stewart. Okay, they they have, you know, each division has their own innovation, uh, you know, uh, staff section now. So down at uh, the Martin Innovation you know, Center down there, they built a sensor that said these are the conditions that when uh, mold's going to start in your uh, you know, room, office space, whatever, right? 
So we've now taken that to scale. I mean, big shock, there's mold in Southeast United States. So we bought it for all of 3rd Infantry Division, okay? Works off a cell phone network, all that goes back. And just like the uh, leader engagement tool, every day you can come in, you can see every question, you can see whether or not the staff duty went to the place that they have, CID, everybody's part of that to put all that input in there to make sure that we're in the right places, get feedback from your you know, paratroopers, soldiers, depending on your formation type. They should tell you all these things too. So now suddenly everybody owns that. Mold awareness tool goes right into the same app. And you, you get sent a, a message of, hey, you are now getting close to, to the you know, place where we think mold could be in this location. So then you go check it out, right? So when people are deployed, so 3rd Infantry Division, a bunch of people are deployed, we're going to put this in all their rooms, right? And then we're going to put it at Fort Liberty, then 82nd. So then you know how uh, you can also put other stuff into the sensor. You can put cameras, right? So now suddenly if you know people go in and out of some door that they're not supposed to, you put it on that door, right? It's cheap, you know? Um, so this is where you, you kind of you get all of those things that are very. And then on war fighting, right? The war fighting portion of this is Scarlet Dragons, okay? And what we learned out in Ukraine was that we called it Scarlet Dragon Europe. So we're out there just constantly iterating. You know, I'm not going to get into it because of the classification of how we developed uh, that, that our experimental mission command system, which uh, I know you've seen and you know pretty neat, right? Yes, sir. So and that's sort of an understatement, but. Um, you know, we fight in COCOMs. So what we do is, is we use that for training and experimentation. We just did one last week in CENTCOM, right? Where we say, what problem do you need us to solve at JTF headquarters that's gonna go and set the conditions for divisions, brigades, et cetera. So what problem do you need us to solve for you, COCOM? Okay, and then we go out and we work with them. So it's a training rep. We plug all of our systems into the COCOM make sure that we can go anywhere in the world in 18 hours, which is our requirement, um, and immediately go in there and, and have no fail comms, and then solve a problem for the COCOM, because we're gonna face that problem anyways, and then just do our training reps out of it as well. Um, so that's really, really important. Then we're gonna go out to UCOM, solve a problem for them. In uh, November, we're in Indo-PACOM. So you can see war fighting all the way over, and then just an app on training management, right? If you're going to do a squad live fire, as we described on whatever, the 3rd of March, it should program out for you. These are all the steps that you have to do, all in line with the eight-step training model, right? I mean, this isn't rocket science, but now suddenly it, te it teaches all of us how to do it, and it's in a forum where this generation operates, yes, right? So. You know, that, so that's just kind of it in a you know, snapshot. And there's all kinds of other stuff. Yes, data literacy. Everybody who comes to 18th Airborne Corps used to go to a data literacy course, so you actually understand it. Oh, yeah, let's go back to my favorite topic, PT, Army Combat Fitness Test. What a great way, and we have all kinds of stuff that we're doing in this arena, too, for the Army Combat Fitness Test, to teach data literacy then through the ACFT, right? Every day, you are doing data literacy with the stuff that we make people do, or will make them do, it hasn't gone to scale yet for that, right? But every time, once a week, you should compete, you should try to win, and you should put your score in. So you're teaching people how to use data, right? 
how to protect your data, who gets to see what. So, yes, sir. Um, sure. So uh, I'm going to give you the closing word here. But if you can't do the basics, it doesn't matter. It, no, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't. It all starts at the basics. And uh, it does. And, uh, you know, we see that here. Well, so it's before I close out, sir, what, um, what's, your, uh, what's your best memory of coming through here? Um, so we, we did a uh, rotation when I was in uh, <clears throat> Third Range Battalion. And, uh, well, actually, I, I have two great men. So kind of two, right? Yes, sir. You can do that, sir. <laughs> well, I mean, one's as the Op 4 and one's as Blue 4. Yes, sir. Okay. So Op 4, the, uh, they had a program when I was in Third Ranger Battalion. So my, our battalion commander, uh, then Lieutenant Colonel Kearney, and the COG at the time, a guy named Colonel Barlow, had served together in Alaska. <clears throat> so they set up this EDRI program where they would alert platoons from 3rd Ranger Battalion, you'd come jump in, go, go do a live fire, and then you would augment the Op 4. And I know you do similar stuff, and I want to do more of it, as you know. Yes, sir. So I got to do that twice, and uh, it was absolutely amazing. The training opportunity, the ability to go out and just maneuver with no one, just here's your intent, Here, here's the intent we need you to accomplish, just go do it. And it was the 101st. And it was really neat because all we did is we went out, we found a unit, attacked it, killed it, and then just basically, you know, just using intuition, we just followed it all the way up until we, we went, you know, basically hit a platoon, knocked out the company, went up, hit the battalion uh, talk, um, which was kind of interesting because the, the S3 had been uh, a professor at West Point. Uh, and we went up through. We didn't hit the brigade, but we got out into the, their LZ. And we just devastated their LZ, right? And uh, <clears throat> just get learning how to do that was amazing, right? And then we, so we learned, right? And this goes back to confidence and competence. And so we knew what the Op 4 did, didn't do, et cetera, and what they were like. So then we came back down for this rotation, and it was one of those rotations where we defeated the Op 4 soundly, okay? It was 2nd Ranger Battalion and 3rd Ranger Battalion. But we had that confidence and everything else. And our platoon, we just devastated the Op 4, right? We jumped in, we took my favorite place, Low Water 5, and then we brought in our vehicles and we just went across the box and we, we chased the Op 4 into the ground, right? They kept, they kept regenerating the Op 4 and we just kept killing them and killing them and killing them. Incredible confidence boost for, for all of those people, right? It was incredible. Um, so that, that's probably my favorite, right? But across, you know, as a 06 commander, we brought people down here, right? Yes, and we spent four days in MOP 4 here, continuous. Uh, I'm confident they wanted to IED my vehicle <laughs> after that. But uh, incredible, you know, preparation, right? Yes, this place is, you know, JRTC and our other CTCs are so important. Right, and uh, incredibly powerful. So what, what y'all do here uh, is amazing. I well, appreciate it, sir. Um, all right, sir, you get the final word. What do you want to, what do you want to tell uh, leaders out there uh, preparing for combat, um, preparing to win? Um, so, so a couple of things here. 
uh, the other day someone asked me, hey, what, what, what advice would you give leaders? Um, and, and it was really kind of more generated for the platoon level, okay? So the first thing I would just say is uh, love your people, right? Uh, and that's very simple, but loving them means a lot. Uh, loving them means that specifically uh, you know them, okay? And that takes time and energy, okay? Um, the other thing is is that you're willing to hold them accountable. But when you're holding them accountable because you're present and you're involved, you're ahead of problems, right? You're ahead of the UCMJ because you see it coming. You say, hey, Hardman, come over here. Hey, man, you're drinking too much. Okay, stop drinking so much. Nothing good comes from drinking that much. All right, knock it off. Hey, we, we need to, don't, don't ever say that again. What did you just say? Don't say that again, right? Um, and that's also, you know, whenever you're out the range and somebody does something good, walk over to that private, that specialist, and say, hey, you got your cell phone? Yeah. Hey, call your mom. Call your dad. Hey, Mrs. Johnson, uh, I just want you to know I'm out here with uh, your son, you know, Sergeant Johnson. I just want you to know what a great American he is, and I just want to thank you for what you did, trusting him with us. But let me just tell you something. He's making us better every day. Thank you, right? Um, you know, just those little things, okay, that they, they know that you truly are invested in them and you care about them, okay? So that, that's the... That, that's the, probably the first thing is love them, but hold them accountable, right? Hey, uh, that, that wasn't very good. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. By the way, PT's where you can do that. No rank, right? Donahue, lower. You didn't go all the way down that squat. Get lower, right? A private should be telling me that if I don't do the right rep, okay? Conversely, I should be holding them accounts where you that shared accountability, right? So again, <clears throat> love them. Don't worry about being liked. Everybody wants to be liked. Worry about being respected, okay? And what do I mean by that? And I tell people all the time, if, if they respect you, they'll probably love you, and they'll probably go anywhere in the world for you, okay? If you're holding them accountable, they may not always like you. But if you do it the right way and they understand the why, they'll respect you, okay? Uh, and then whatever echelon you're at, <clears throat> whatever your job is, make sure that you can do your job. Don't worry about how other people are doing their job, right? My boss is uh, General Pappas, Force Com Commander. My job is to make sure that 18th Airborne Corps isn't a problem for him and we're doing everything that we can. Because I'm not in his job and I don't understand everything that he has to do, but I know that his job's really hard and I need to make sure I'm not a problem for him, I'm solving problems at my level, <clears throat> and I can do my job before I ever worry about what he is doing or not doing, right? I'm not in his job, I don't understand it, I've never had it, just worry about me doing the best that I can do and be good at my job. And make sure that my boss can call me up and say, hey Donahue, I need your help, right? I'm not a problem, I'm a problem solver. And he trusts that our formation can go anywhere in the world and do what we need to do. If you're a platoon leader, <clears throat> worry about your platoon. Can my platoon do the basics? 
Am I taking care of my people? Am I giving them predictability? Am I present? Do I do PT with them or do I run off and do PT with the XO? Right? So, you know, the, the, just, just do those things. And I think uh, you will have an incredible formation. And it sounds easy, sir, but all that stuff is, I think. There, there's, there's nothing easy. So Work. So it's, then it's whenever work. you go to it, okay, so what, what are, you know, the other day, uh, you know, there's a, just based off my job, you know, you got to talk to some of these general officer classes that are out there, right? So the higher you go up as an officer or a senior NCO, <clears throat> what, what are the skill sets that you need at that level, right? Well, the, you know, if, if you're an 06 or a CSM at the 06 level and above, even 05, really, really kind of 05 and above, but specifically we'll talk to your level and kind of up, it's just an assumption that legal, ethical, moral, you know, you're competent, that, that's, a, that's an entry point. That's just an assumption. If you can't do that, you know, we got a bigger problem with how we select people. So what are the real kind of special things that you have to have at that level? Well, the very first thing I would say is energy. Everything that we're talking about takes energy, okay? Um, the next thing is what is your professional curiosity, okay, and creativity? Because at that level, when people are bringing you problems, if it was an easy problem and you have the right formation, they've already solved it. They should never bring that problem to you. They should be empowered. They should have already solved So the problems you're getting, the standard thing isn't going to work out. But if you don't have curiosity and creativity to solve that problem, you're probably going to struggle. So you need energy. You've got to be present. You've got to know what's going on. They've got to be willing to come and talk to you. Curiosity and creativity and the ability to adapt and integrate. This isn't rocket science, right? Um, so th those are some of those skill sets. And the other thing, too, is you're going to fail. How do you deal with failure? Okay. Um, you, you know, do you embrace it? Do you not let it consume you? You know, all those other things. Who do you talk to whenever you fail? Who are the people that you reach out to, right? Um, command in particular is very personal, right? Anyone says otherwise is lying. Command is personal. If you go back to those basics, command should be very, very personal, okay? Um, and just th th those are kind of those, you know, there's a bunch of others, but I just think those things in particular. And then the next thing is, what are you reading? Okay? It's amazing how when you go back and read history, you never fight the last war, ever, okay? We'll never fight like we did in World War II in the, in the Pacific. Ever. It'll be, if we ever have a conflict in Indo-PACOM, it'll be different than what we did. But the terrain never changes. <laughs> that right? ocean's still big. <laughs> Those yes, islands sir. are still in the same spot, yes, everything else, right? Um, so you, you can start to understand of throwing the new technology, everything else we have, or the technology we have to build or develop, the mission command systems we have to build or develop, you can start to figure out, ah, this is how we would do that, right? So your ability to anticipate and understand where you need to be ahead of time is extremely important at the 06 level and above, right? Because that's really where you have to live. You have to be out ahead of everybody else, setting those conditions for where you need to be. And just understanding that's extremely important. And I don't think we, we talk enough about that. Um, 
I, I just think, you know, I could go on and on, obviously I won't. So, but yeah, but yeah thanks again. And sure, thanks for uh, Matt, th thanks for, again, uh, I, I cannot stress enough, thanks for your leadership over the years, what, what you've done in the past. Obviously, you and I at HKIA uh, uh, have a, a very unique uh, bond there, but what you did was remarkable. And uh, <clears throat> thanks for what you're doing out here. Thanks, sir. Appreciate so, it. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your mentorship. Thanks, sir. See you, man. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC Experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.